morning, everybody. My name is Strider Stokes. I'm the student pastor here. And I'm Steve Godfrey, one of the elders and small group leaders here. And uh, it's so exciting to see all of you here in person. And for those of you online from Colorado and Michigan and right here in St. Augustine, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hey, if this is your first time here, there is a Connect card in the seat backs in front of you. If you're worshiping with us online, there's actually a Connect card online as well. You can go to goodnewsloves.com to get that. But we would just love to know that you're here. Fill it out with as much information as you're comfortable giving, with, giving us. And we're just uh, so excited that you chose to worship with us here at Good News. And if you're new to Good News or have been here for a while and you have some questions, if you'd like to connect more, if you'd like to know more about what we believe, if you'd like to get connected to a small group, then Discover Good News is for you. We meet in the Connect Room just outside of the auditorium every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. You can indicate that you'd like to be a part of that on your Connect card, or, or you're free to come and just show up. We'd love to see you. Hey, how's your NCAA tournament bracket doing? Yeah, how about some good news? We are two weeks, Dom's giving me the double thumbs down in the back. We're two weeks away from Easter, y'all. And uh, that is the morning that we will proclaim the work of Christ. And Isaiah 53 speaks exactly to what Christ did for us on the cross. Let me read it to you as an encouragement. It says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we have held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And here's the good news. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Here at Good News, we are hoping and praying that this room would be filled with people. And that online, people would be worshiping with us. People who have not yet believed that they would hear the truth of that gospel, that they would believe and be saved. That is what we are working towards and praying for and expecting Jesus to do this Easter of 2021. So speaking about Easter, we've got an exciting time planned. If you look on the screen, you'll see that it begins actually on Palm Sunday, next Sunday, uh, right after the 1030 service. We'll have a a lunch that's going to be catered by Carabas. It's going to be great, a great time for fellowship and encouragement. And then the following Friday, Good Friday, both campuses, World Golf and Wildwood, will meet together on the Wildwood campus. And at 6.30, we'll have a Good Friday service. That'll be available, of course, in person and online as well. And then for 48 hours after that service, we will be praying together for those who will come on Easter Day. And of course, Easter Sunday will be amazing. We'll have two services at 9 and 1030, both in person and live stream. And how we're going to spend our time praying over that 48 hours is this way. Last week, we asked you, hey, would you take your Connect card and would you write down the names of lost people that you know? whether they live in your neighborhood or you work in the same office or you go to school with, people that are in your family, whether they're here in St. Augustine or maybe have an opportunity to tune in with us online, would you just write down their names? Because we're going to take 48 hours and we are going to pray for those people. You know what you did? 
you turned in this many names. Every Easter egg that I have up here represents one of the names. You know how many Easter eggs are in this tub? 570. Y'all, we've got two more weeks. We would love to fill this, net, fill this tub up with the names of lost people here in our community. So if you missed last week, would you take your Connect card and would you write your name on it? And then would you write the names of people that you want to see here on Easter Sunday? that you want to see come to faith in Christ. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for them. And our hope is that not only would we pray, but that we would invite as well. And Steve and his wife, Fran, actually had a really cool uh, opportunity to invite someone that they see on a regular basis to come on Sunday. Steve, would you tell us that story? Oh, I'd love to. You know, I, I know with 570 names that everyone out here and everyone online is finding creative ways to invite. God showed us one and I was excited to be able to share that with my wonderful wife, Fran. Um, we we uh, prayed and we went online to the website and this invitation is available. You can click on it and download it into your smartphone and have it ready to send as a, uh, e as a, uh, a text message attachment. So we went to lunch and uh, Jessica was our, our waitress and Fran said, you look kind of familiar. Do you go to Good News? And of course, the answer was bad news, no. But God opens amazing doors. She said, but I just moved here and I'm looking for a church. Can you imagine that? God instantly answered a prayer. We were able to send her a text message with the invitation. She gave us a phone number. Uh, we told her that we would be happy to answer any questions or be with, available with her when she came to worship. And uh, the great news is because we have her text number, we were able to send her a reminder just before Easter. The bottom line is no matter what technique we use to reach out, God will open doors if we're just ready to listen and follow. On your seats, when you came in, there should have been an invitation. Uh, that is intentional. We would love for you to take that invitation and prayerfully consider who the Lord might have you give that to this week. If you're worshiping with us online and you want to click the graphic and download it and send it to somebody digitally via text message or email, that's also an option. Maybe you want to give it to somebody whose names are represented by these Easter eggs. Maybe you want to give that invitation to somebody that you see on a regular basis at the grocery store or somebody somewhere where you eat on a regular basis. But we want you to ask you to prayerfully consider who the Lord might put on your heart to invite to be here with us on Easter Sunday because you never know what the Lord will do with a simple invitation like that. It is a game changer and a life changer. So as Smiley comes up to, uh, to preach, we want to stop and just take 30 seconds and we just want to pray. But here's how we want to do this. We want to ask you, if you're willing, to pray for Jessica, who Steve just talked about. And would you be willing to pray for the person sitting beside you or sitting near you? That the Lord would put someone's name and face on their heart to give an invitation to and as you pray for Jessica and as you pray for one another, Steve and I are going to pray silently and Smiley as he comes too are going to pray silently together as well. So let's take 30 seconds, pray together, and uh, at the end, I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray.
Jesus, you were pierced for our transgressions, and it is by your wounds that we are healed. And we pray that people in our community would know that gospel truth, that they would believe it, that they would have eternal life. Lord, we pray for Smiley as he comes to preach. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. Pray that you'd give us eyes and ears and hearts and minds to see and hear and understand whatever it is that you might want to say to us this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I've been a pastor for a long, long, long time. I've done a lot of weddings. <clears throat> so I thought I would share with you the worst song um, ever at a wedding I did. It was Another One Bites the Dust. <laughs> it was a couple, and uh, it wasn't their first wedding. I had a chance to lead them to faith in Christ, and it, it, we, they got married on Daytona Beach. And at the end, as they were leaving, it was Another One Bites the Dust. Not only have I done a lot of weddings, I've done a lot of funerals. Worst song ever at a funeral I did. Same song. Another one bites the dust. It was the same guy. Uh, he died tragically a few years after the wedding, and, and they asked me to do the funeral. It was in Orlando. And it, at the end of the service, as, as the service is ending, what they played was Another One Bites the Dust. But I want you to know at that wedding, that was not the only bad song. Right before I spoke, a lady got up and she started singing my favorite song, Amazing Grace, but she changed the words. Here's what she did. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved, uh, and she scratched out wretch and she said, a soul like me. And I thought perhaps she didn't want to offend people with the bad news, because you could be offended being called a wretch, couldn't you? So she kind of tried to sweeten the song a little bit. But listen, if, if all Jesus did to, was to come and save a soul, it really wouldn't be amazing, would it? What makes it amazing is what? That he came to save a wretch like me. And then I thought, if you really wanted not to offend someone, perhaps you should just sing a different song. Right? Because look at the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch. That's offensive, but that's not all. Like me, I once was... That would be offensive, wouldn't it? To find out you were lost, but now I'm found was blind. That's, that's offensive too, right? But now I see. One of the biggest problems in churches today is that, um, is that people don't understand sin. We don't understand the depth of our sin, and because of that, we don't really appreciate the good news of the gospel. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to explore a bit the bad news of the gospel, our sin problem, because when we understand that, that's what makes us really, really interested in the good news. And so we'll explore the good news too, and here's what we'll explore. The point of today's message is that the cross reveals amazing grace. The cross reveals amazing grace. One of the things I love is sharing my faith with someone, and when they really understand the bad news, do you know what they say? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And at that point, I know I've got them right. Because when people are aware of the bad news, they're so interested in the good news that the cross reveals amazing grace. And what I'm praying for today is that as we explore the bad news and good news of the gospel, that as you leave today, you find yourself singing, singing amazing grace. I can't believe God loves me. 
The most amazing thing we learned today, I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe how amazing God's grace is. Okay? We've got some ground to cover to get there, okay? This past week, if you're new, welcome. We're walking through the book of Exodus together, kind of like binge watching. And and I'm having lunch with someone this week, and know what he said? He said, Smiley, it's been so good. It's been like binge watching Exodus this year. And he said, I've really discovered this week I was thinking, Exodus, Exodus, it's like exit. It's the story of God bringing his people out of Egypt. And I said, great. And he said, each week I can't wait to find out what comes next. Isn't that what it's like when we learn the story? Because the whole Bible is one story. It's all this great story of God delivering his people. And so previously on Exodus, where we are, it's 1450 B.C., 1450 years before Christ. Um, the, the, The Hebrews are slaves in Egypt. And they've been slaves for 400 years, and they cry out, God, deliver us. And God raises up a reluctant deliverer named Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. And he says, no way. He has 2 million slaves, and he's not willing to to give them go and let that economic engine go. So God begins to send plagues on him to move Pharaoh to let them go. All right, we've seen there's 10 plagues all together. And so far, we've seen a plague of blood and frogs and gnats and flies, of livestock that died and boils and locusts, hail and locusts and darkness. And today, we get to the last of the plagues, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus 11. But let me just read the last two verses from chapter 10, because when we left off, Moses and Aaron We're in Pharaoh's palace, and here's what we heard. Then Pharaoh said to him, to Moses, get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you were right, I shall never see your face again. Moses and Aaron in chapter 11, they're still in Pharaoh's palace. They're still there, they haven't left. Starting chapter 11, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague. I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that he will let you go from here. So one more plague, one more, and then Israel will be let go. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Listen, God was, Moses was telling his people, You need to pack up and be ready, because when it's time, we need to be ready to go. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man may ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Genesis 15, hundreds of years before this, God had said to Abraham, your descendants will spend 400 years in a foreign land. And at the end of that time, at the end of that time, when, when your people come out, they will not come out empty-handed. Think for a moment about plundering. When do people plunder? They plunder after they conquer or defeat a people, right? So when God conquers and defeats Israel, the people will gladly give their things to the Israelites. Furthermore, the man Moses was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. At this time, Moses was extremely popular. (laughs) But if you're a leader, you're what? You're popular one moment and unpopular the next, right? 
And we're going to find that Moses, he, he kind of went up and down in the poles. Sometimes they said, we love you, Moses. And sometimes they said, why did you ever bring us out, right? Um, wasn't it like that with Jesus? Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and he's welcomed as a king, right? They're all singing, like Ed said, they're all singing, what, Hosanna and hallelujah. But then by Friday, the same crowd's yelling what? Crucify him, crucify him. Listen, as a leader, you can be popular one minute and not the next. You read in Acts, often the apostles would get to a city, they'd be welcomed, but pretty soon what would happen? They'd be driven out, wouldn't they? Uh, isn't that true with us? I mean, sometimes when we share the gospel with people, there's hunger and they thank us, and then sometimes there's hostility and, and not so thankful, right? Moses said... Thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt. So God tells him when the last plague is going to happen. It's going to happen at midnight. He tells him the time, but not the day. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, let's think back on this past year in our country. Less than 1% of all the people in America have died, right? Less than 1% of all the people have died, and yet our whole country has been shut down for a year. Can you imagine Every family losing someone. Every firstborn dying. Can you imagine the weeping and the wailing and the crying and the despair? Um, there will be a cry in all the land of Egypt such as there has not been before and such as never will be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against a man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The plague is promised in chapter 11. It comes in chapter 12. In chapter 12, we see the distinction. And here is the difference. Listen, the Jewish people would take a lamb, and they would kill the lamb, and they would put blood over the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel would come, he would pass over, right? God made a distinction between those covered with blood and those who weren't. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Wow, Moses was so angry because nine times he says, Let God's people go, and he said no. And he knew the death and destruction and heartache that would be coming because of Pharaoh's hard heart. Then the Lord said to Pharaoh, to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out from the land. And we've been learning about the heart, right? And how in the heart in the Bible, it's the control center of our being. It's the mind where we think. It's the emotions where we feel. And it's our will. And the Bible teaches that our hearts are sinful in heart, right? And um, what does our culture say about the heart? What? Just 
follow your heart. Just be true to your heart. The Bible couldn't have a different view of the heart from our culture. The Bible says what the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So here we see the heart, and then we see God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Twenty times we've heard about Pharaoh's heart. Ten of the times it says Pharaoh hardens his heart. No to God. And ten of the times it talks about God hardening his heart. And so we've been learning that our hearts are naturally hard. God is not making a, a soft, hard heart. But what God is doing is withdrawing his, his common grace from Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh's heart grows harder yet. So we've read, we've read about a plague coming where the firstborn in every house is going to be killed, yet the Israelites will not be touched. So as I read the story, did you hear God's justice or did you hear God's grace? Which did you hear? Hmm? Maybe you're not sure? Well, let me, when I read the story, what stood out to you? What, did what stand out to you is, listen, how could God, how could God kill the firstborn in every house? How could he do that? That's not fair. Is that what you heard? Then what struck you was the justice, right? Or did you hear nine times, nine times God pleaded with Pharaoh to let his people go, and he didn't do it. God is so gracious, nine times. Did you hear, why didn't God kill all the Egyptians? They were all sinners. Why just the firstborn? God is so gracious. Did you find yourself asking, why did God spare Israel? Were they not sinners too? Which struck you, God's justice or his grace? You know what R.C. Sproul said, the late R.C. Sproul? In his whole teaching career, no one ever asked him this question. How could God love me? Isn't that interesting? No one ever asked him, how could God love me? He says all the questions he got were never about grace. They were always about God's justice. How could God send the Israelites in to kill all the people in the land? How could God do that? How could God kill all the people with the flood? He said all the objections that people had to God, all the things, their questions were about God's justice, not his grace. How about you? Matter of fact, he said the great sermon, Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s gave a great sermon that began a great awakening in our country. And the name of the sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and R.C. said today, the sermon would be called God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. It's true, isn't it? It's that we're shaking our fist at God and saying, you're not fair and you're not just. So he says, really, in our churches today, we shouldn't sing Amazing Grace because we're not amazed by grace. He says, we should sing another song that's called Amazing Justice. You know how that song goes? Amazing Justice, how cruel and sharp that wounded a saint like me. I'm so darn good, it makes no sense the tower fell on me. Isn't that people were shocked by God's justice and not his grace? And you know why? Because we do not understand sin. So let me help you understand sin a little bit. In Romans 6, 23, look at the first part of this verse. For the wages of sin is death. Will you say that part with me? For the wages of sin is death. See the word sin? The Bible says the moment, the wage, the moment anyone sinned, they deserve to die. 
So every moment that a sinner lives is an expression of God's what? Grace, that God extends grace to sinners. Because God is a gracious God, and, and the moment anyone sins, God would be just to strike them dead. But God extends grace so that people could ex experience His grace and not His justice. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God extends grace to us so that we would receive grace and not justice. Nine times God says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And nine times he said no, ten times he would say no, and in the end he experienced God's justice and not his grace. How about you? The Bible says over and over again that if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you've never experienced his grace, won't you experience his grace today? Won't you say, Jesus, I want the free gift. I want the free gift. I don't want what I deserve. Oh, that we understood. The moment we sin, we deserve to die, and yet God is gracious, giving us time to believe and be saved. That really is the gospel, isn't it? The gospel? Now, I want you to know the gospel that we share every week at Good News has three parts. There's bad news, and there's good news, and then it, there's our response, an invitation to respond. When you share the gospel, don't spare the bad news. It's bad news and good news and a response. Listen, when you listen to someone, you should always hear those three parts. Matter of fact, let me walk you through the gospel in Romans chapter 3. This is a really good passage if you want to understand the gospel. Will you read verse 23 with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was reading by myself. One more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who does the Bible say is sin? Now, we live in a time in our culture, right, where some people believe, most people believe there's good people and bad people, right? Aren't we divided? Don't people think they're good and other people are bad? What's the answer to bringing healing in our land? It's, what, it's the gospel because the gospel says what? That we've all sinned. Listen, we've all sinned. That's a universal human experience. We've all sinned. The word sin means to miss the mark. We've all missed the mark. That's what it means for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. God is perfect. We're not. We fall short. Listen, we've sinned against God. That's something people don't realize we've sinned against God. That's why we're in big trouble. Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. What did Moses say? What? No. No to who? No to God. Every time we sin, we're saying no to God. No, God, I won't put you first. No, God, I won't honor my parents. No, God, I won't reserve sex for marriage. No, God, I won't tell the truth. We've sinned against God over and over again, and because of that, we're in big trouble. What we deserve is hell itself. That's the bad news. And when you get there, well, what do I do? What do I do for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God? Here comes the good news. Here's the good news of the gospel, being justified. Do you know what that means? It means made right. We're made right. We're justified as a gift. Notice it's a gift. It's not something we work for and earn. By His grace, His amazing grace, His love for sinners. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. You see, Jesus is God who became a man. And He came to earth to redeem us. To redeem us. To save us. Listen, to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. How many of us are perfect? How many? You guys there? How many? Yeah. 
None. So he came to earth to do for us what we couldn't do. He met the entrance requirements to heaven for us. And then he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Listen, let's, let's move on into the next verse. Uh, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propiti what? Isn't that a part of your everyday vocabulary? Propitiation. Do you know what it means? Anybody know what it means? It means to appease the wrath of God. It is to appease the wrath of God. And some of us say, well, what do you mean the wrath of God? How could God have wrath? Listen, God is holy and God is just, and the response of a holy and just God to sin is one of wrath. Let me illustrate for you. When you hear of a child who's been abused, how do you, how do you feel? You feel what? Angry, don't you? That shouldn't happen. Don't you feel that way? When you hear of a lady being raped, what's your response? Isn't it one of what? Anger. That should never happen to a person, right? If the response of sinful people to other sinners is one of wrath and anger, how much more is the response of a holy and just God who's never sinned to our sin one of wrath? Listen. The wages of sin is death. And so what Jesus did is he took our place. He took our place on the cross and he experienced the wrath of God that we deserve. He died in our place to redeem us. The propitiation in his blood, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins uh, through faith. Listen to this. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. God is doing something on the cross. He's demonstrating he's righteous. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. <clears throat> Next verse. Uh, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you want to know what the God of the Bible is like, look at the cross. Because God declares that he's just, and every sin ever committed will be punished, either in Jesus once and for all. As he's experienced God's wrath for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Or it will be punished in us forever. God is declaring he cannot wink at sin. Every sin will be punished. So Jesus took our sins. He died in our place. He became our propitiation. His blood to cover our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day proving that he had paid in full the penalty for sin and death. And he offers us eternal life. He offers us justification as a free gift. Notice that he would be just, God is just, and the justifier. He's the one who justifies sinners, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now we've moved into the third part of the gospel. Our response is one of faith. Where then is boasting? <clears throat> it is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by far faith. <laughs> that was almost really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See the word justified? It's a legal term. And what it means is the moment someone puts their faith in Jesus, all of our sins are imputed to Christ. They're imputed to him, and we're forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. 
We're forgiven. But it also means the moment we believe that perfect life Jesus lived is imputed to us. So from that moment on, we're beautiful in God's eyes. Not simply forgiven, but made righteous. We're justified by faith. That was the battle cry of the Reformation. Justification by faith that a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Have you? Oh, if you've never been saved, if you've never been justified, won't you? Notice it's by faith. It's not by us keeping the law. It's by faith. And saving faith really is as simple as ABC where we admit. And if you've never done this, won't you do this? You can do it now as I talk. You can do it when I close in prayer. But admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe. You're my redeemer. You're my propitiation. You died for my sins. You rose. We believe, right? And then we commit to Jesus, a Savior. Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I want you to, to, to give me your righteousness. I have none of my own. I want you to give me eternal life. Please, I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you do that? Um, and if you have, if you have, notice what it says, that we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What that means is right now, because of your faith, all your sins have been given to Christ and you're forgiven. And he's given you his righteousness so that you're beautiful before God and others. Doesn't that make you want to sing? Doesn't that make you want to leave here singing? Wow, God's grace is so amazing. Not only has he forgiven me, but he's given me his righteousness. Thank you, thank you. Matter of fact, singing, that's just what I want you to do. Your action step this week is, is I'd like for you to sing Amazing Grace this week. I want you to sing. And so let me help you out a little bit. Some of you know the song. Some of you don't. So I'm going to teach it to you. But first of all, let me tell you about the author, John Newton. He was born in 1725. He had a Christian mother and a dad. Hey, he wasn't so good. For a while, John Newton was a slave in Africa. That's right, he was a slave, and then he got involved in the slave traffic. When he's 23 years old, he's on a ship going through the ocean in the middle of a terrible storm, and like so many of us, in the middle of a storm, what do we do? Oh, God, get me out of this, right? And so God got him out of the storm, but the first thing he did, he went to a church, and in that church, he admitted he was a sinner, he believed in Christ, and committed his life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and then he became an Anglican priest, and he wrote 280 hymns, the most famous of his amazing grace. So here's what I want you to do when you get up and spend time with Jesus this week. I want you to sing amazing grace. When you stop at a stoplight this week, when you're driving, don't pull out your phone and check your messages. I want you to sing. And you say, well, why sing? Well, the first reason, the Bible says when we're filled by the Holy Spirit, the first thing people do is they sing. You know why they sing? Because words alone are not enough to express our thankfulness to God for what he's done. You know why else we sing? Martin Luther says the only time our entire body is involved in worship is when we're singing. The only time. Because when we're singing, our minds are involved, our emotions are involved, our will is involved, our entire body is involved. So let me show you this song. Here's the first verse. Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Listen, I want you to sing. It's so important we remember what we were. We were a wretch. We were blind. We were lost. It's so important we remember who we are. We're saved and we can see and we're not lost anymore. Listen, as we sing, our entire body is giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done for us. That's why we sing. And then the next verse, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved.'" Uh, How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And we remember, the gospel has bad news. It was God's grace that that taught me about my sin. And the gospel has good news. It it, it relieved my fears. And we're reminded that when we share the gospel with people, we can't spare the bad news because if we don't share the bad news, they'll never appreciate the good news, right? Oh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come Tis grace that has brought us safe this far, and grace will lead us home. And as we sing, we're reminded, grace got us going. Grace is keeping us going. Grace will get us all the way home. It's all grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, you ever stop and think about where we're going? You ever just dream about earth? Earth, when everything sad is untrue and everything beautiful is there, that's what it's going to be like when we've been there on the new earth for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Singing helps us deal with our past and our present and our future. Here's why that's so important. Our purpose as a church, our purpose as a church is what? It's to make disciples together, right? And so we've defined the last couple of years and we've said a disciple is a... Thank you. A follower of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And what does that look like? And we've said that following Jesus, we can see that in our love for Jesus, our love for one another, and our love for the lost. And this past week, as I've been singing Amazing Grace, you know what it does? It rekindles my love for Jesus. It will yours too. It rekindles my love for one another. It'll do that for you too. It rekindles my love for lost people. And it will for you too. Oh, this week... When you sing Amazing Grace, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find that your love for Jesus grows. You can't wait for Sunday because you want to come and worship and say, thank you. Thank you. I was lost. You found me. I was blind and and, and you opened my eyes. I was a wretch and you saved me. Thank you. And you're going to find that when you get up and sing to Jesus, listen, it'll change your life. Because you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So as we get up and we remember how much Jesus loves us, when he captures our hearts with his love, we gladly give him our hands and feet, saying, Lord, I want to follow you. Is there a sin in your life that you'd like to overcome? Listen, quit thinking about your sin and just sing this week. Sing about God's grace for you. And when your heart is overwhelmed with the grace of God, you'll be amazed at the supernatural power that gives you to overcome sin. Sing, listen, when I sang this past week, it helps me in my love for one another. Do do you struggle to love one another? Then, Then won't you sing? Let me show you a verse, John 13, verse 35. Now, now notice this verse. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you don't smoke, because you don't cuss. What does it say? If you have love for one another. Now, notice the word one another. That's really important. The Bible calls us to love our neighbor. That's not what this verse is speaking about. The Bible even calls us to love our enemy. 
But when you see the word one another, he's talking about in a church. People often ask me, well, you know, Smiley, can I be a Christian without being involved in a church? Uh, I guess you can, but Jesus said the people around you will not know that you're a Christian unless you're involved in a church and loving one another. What people are looking for is a community of love to belong to. And that's why we're here, to show people that loved people love and forgiven people forgive so that people would say, I don't know what they believe, but I want to be a part of that community. But when we get close to other Christians, they bug us, don't they? And that's why we sing. And when we sing, we're reminded we're wretches too, right? And we're welcome, so we can welcome other wretches to the body too, right? Oh, Know why we sing? Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all. So you've led someone to faith in Christ and you're mentoring them. What are you going to tell them? Above all what? Uh, read your Bible. Above all what? Isn't it interesting what the Bible says? Notice, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Again, that's not talking about your neighbor or your enemy. It's talking about in the church. Above all. How are you doing? It's hard, isn't it? That's why we sing. You know why we sing? Because loved people love. The reason we forgive is forgiven people will forgive. Keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> oh, when you get involved in a church, you're going to be hurt and disappointed and let down a multitude of times. And the only way to love through that is to realize that you've been forgiven a multitude as well. And that's why we sing. We sing to cultivate our love for Jesus, our love for one another, and our love for the lost. You know what happens to me when I sing Amazing Grace? I think of all my friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus. Don't you? And I want to go, and I want to bring them to Jesus, don't you? Because I realize they're blind, and they're lost, and they need Jesus, and that's why I'm here on earth, right? And then I find myself, well, how do I reach them? And what did Jesus say what? He said, what? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And, and so we read in this word, and what did Jesus do? He was a friend of sinners, are we? And then Jesus shared the gospel with people, didn't he? He shared the bad news and the good news, and he invited people to respond, will we? Um, sometimes we need to be reminded. One of my heroes is Charles Spurgeon. He was a great preacher, even if he was a Baptist. couple of quotes by him. Look at this first one. Soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. When we realize that people are lost and hellbound, isn't that the most important thing we do is to rescue people? Isn't it? Soul winning is the chief business of the Christian. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. Every true believer who sings Amazing Grace and is thankful to be saved but thinks of neighbors and friends who are needs to, has to, is compelled to go and invite them to Jesus, aren't we? Well, listen to this next one. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Are we those people pleading with people to come to Christ and be saved. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled. 
uh, in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, dear people, who do you want to see to come to faith in Christ? Won't you go and share with them what you've heard? Listen, everything you've heard is right here. You can go and read it to them and just go and share the bad news and the good news. Invite people to respond. Invite people to respond. You can do it. Listen, we're two weeks out from Easter. Two weeks out from Easter. Who do you want to be sitting next to you? Who do you want? Won't you pray? Won't you pray? Won't you go and invite? Isn't that why we're here? Isn't it? Aren't we here? to wrap our arms around lost people and plead with them not to go to hell, but to believe in Jesus and be saved, isn't it? So this week, what I want for you to do is I want you to sing. I want you to sing about amazing grace because I believe if you'll sing about amazing grace, your love for Jesus will explode. Your love for one another will explode, and your love for lost people will explode so much that you must go and compel people to come to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful you so loved us that you came and lived a perfect life for us and died on the cross for our sins. You experienced the wrath of God so we would never have to. And you rose and you offer us salvation, justification as a gift that we receive by faith. And if you've never received that gift, won't you? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him, Jesus, I want you to come in and forgive me and give me your righteousness and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you tell someone or mark your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who are justified, who've been saved, this week we would sing And we would find that our love for you is renewed. Our love for you is renewed, that we want to worship you. We want to follow you. Lord, renew our love for one another as we sing to you. Lord, renew our love for lost people. May we feel compelled to go and invite others to come and see you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.